This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I want to thank everybody uh, in this congregation for hosting us this weekend. Um, it has been a, a great weekend. We've enjoyed, my family's enjoyed spending time with you. And if I can get this down my ear. Uh, and uh, I, I profited greatly. I enjoyed, um, I've enjoyed the teaching and the fellowship. Uh, you've heard some wonderful lessons this weekend. Uh, if if you did not get to hear Jay or James and their teachings, I encourage you to, to go listen to those. They're profitable teachings. They're convicting teachings. And I think that's what Jesus was doing in the context of Luke 14 as he was instructing people not simply on how to be his disciple, but the reasons why they wouldn't be able to. And that's a really sad thought to me. That that's the way he phrased these things through there. Whenever he was talking to people about their families, he said, if you can't forsake them for me, then you can't be my disciple. you got to love me more than them. As he talked about bearing the cross, the cross of shame, the cross of the gospel, he said, if you won't do it, then you can't be my disciple. And this morning, my job is, or what I've been tasked with, is talking specifically about uh, verse 33. He said, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. I think this is a summation type idea he's presenting here of, of the couple of the things he said that you have to forsake and that you have to love less than him and that you need to be willing to give. But I've been asked to talk especially about the side of this that comes, to, comes from leaving behind possessions. Possessions, wealth, pleasures. They're distractions in this life. Whenever Moses is praised for his faith or the things that faith was able to help him do in Hebrews chapter 11, 24, it said that he chose in verse 25 rather to suffer affliction. That's what we talked about yesterday, right? The bearing the cross means suffering affliction. He'd rather suffer affliction with the people of God. That's the disciples of God, right? Rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, and he esteemed reproach of Christ greater than the riches or the treasures of Egypt, because he had respected the recompense of the reward. In this life, whenever we're talking about possessions or we're talking about wealth, the things that go hand in hand is wealth and pleasure, because that's what we're really seeking. Whenever we're seeking riches, we're seeking our own pleasure, we're seeking our own benefits. And Jesus said, if you can't come to me and forsake everything, then you can't be my follower. You can't go where I'm going. You're not going to be able to. It's not easy. We read lines like this and we see other people in the scriptures who weren't willing to do it and we go, how could they forsake something so great? How could they forsake an opportunity to actually walk and talk with Jesus? Can you imagine that? Standing face to face with Jesus, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, and him saying, all you got to do is this, and you'll be with me. I'm God. There are many people who heard him teach. There were multitudes who followed him. There were many that appreciated a lot of the good things that he did for them and other people in their family and other people in their city. They marveled at it. But I'll tell you, not everybody was able to forsake all. 
Can you? That's the question this morning. Could you forsake all to follow after Jesus, to be his disciple? Because there were some that we read about that from the very beginning, they looked at it, they counted the cost, and they said, it's too much. We heard about the rich young ruler, we called him yesterday in Matthew 19. He was a guy who came and he said, what is it? What's the thing that I lack? I want to be with you. And he listed off all these things. Jesus listed all these things that you need to do. Things from the law, right? And he's a better man than me. I'm just, I'm going to be honest with you. He's a better man than me. Because I can't get through that list and go, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. I just look through it and I go, failure, failure, failure. But he made it through this big list of things that he needed to be able to do. And he said, I've done these. And Jesus didn't argue with him. He said, you have. One thing. One thing. Sell it all. And the man counted the cost. And he said, the cost is too much. And he was willing to forsake Jesus. He was willing to forsake eternity. He was willing to forsake the cross because of his covetousness. Some from the beginning, they'll count the cost and say it's too much. There's some people that they see all the excitement, they see all the blessings that the people inside of Christ have, and they want a piece of that, but they don't really want to make the sacrifice. We read about a people in Acts chapter 5, this couple right here, Ananias and Sapphira, all their reasons, I don't know, but what was going on at the time is people were selling their possessions and their things, and they were putting it in this pot, so to speak, so people could live so they could learn about the gospel, learn about the kingdom. And they had every opportunity to either sell everything that they had or not sell everything that they had. But what they chose to do is they said, you know what, we want to look like these people who've made a big sacrifice, but we don't really want the sacrifice, right? And so they took their possession and they sold it for a certain price and they went to all these other people making large sacrifice and they said, we, we've, we've given everything, we're like the widow with the might. We've given everything. And there's a lot of people that live Christianity, quote unquote, that way, that they want to follow after Jesus and they want everybody to think that they have sacrificed so much and they've given so much to the kingdom and yet they've held back something for themselves. Is that you this morning? Do you want to be called Christ? Do you want to be associated with the blessings and and the nobility of someone who could forsake everything, yet in your life you're keeping something for yourself? Jesus said, you can't be my disciple if you don't forsake everything. No, there's, there's some who couldn't be. You know what? And there's some who have the best of intentions, I believe. Maybe many of us. Well, we, at the very beginning, we know that this, the blessings outweigh the cost of what I'm giving. And at the end of the day, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. And for a time, they give everything that they have to the kingdom of God. But after a while, the weeds of life spring back up and grab them. Paul wrote about his, compa his companion Demas to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and 10. We don't know specifically what it was that allured Demas away from the ministry. But it wasn't an easy life that Paul was living. It wasn't like you and me driving down the road from one meeting to the next in our air conditioning and, and heated seats and all these things, living, living in nice, comfortable beds and everybody's comfortable houses. I mean, these guys, these guys were, they had a rough life. 
And Demas, for a while, he was right there in the fight. He was a companion through the hardships. Whenever Paul said, I was with you night and day in tears, I cease not to warn you, Demas was right there. Whenever Paul was stoned, maybe he was right there. Whenever other Christians were going through hardships and felt like they couldn't get on, Demas was right there. And he forsook it all for the kingdom. But after a while, he said, I just can't do this anymore. Was it riches? Was it pleasure? I don't know. He said, for love of this present world. Some people won't forsake all. Will you? Can you? Will you? Because if you want to be the disciple of Christ, if you want to follow him through this life and into the next one, you're going to have to be willing to let go of the family. Remember, he'll teach you to be a better family member, but you're going to have to be able to make sure that they're second. You're going to have to be able to let go of the possessions. You're going to have to be willing to let go of the fear that holds you back from being hurt as you step out to preach this gospel. You're going to have to be able to give everything. But possessions, wealth, pleasure, they're tricky. That's why we're warned about them. Jesus warned over and over in different ways about it. But in Luke 12, 15, he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. In a man's life, it doesn't consist of the abundance of the things that he possesses. Now, covetousness, I mean, it can be used in good terms. We've heard covet the best gifts, you know, in 1 Corinthians 14, things like that. But here he's specifically talking about coveting things that are worldly and sensual. And he said, I want you to pay attention. You know what? What I tell my kids whenever we're, whenever we're walking amongst cows and stuff, you know, especially not our cows, you know, I'll tell them to pay attention, right? Pay attention. I don't know these cows. I got one cow I don't even know very well that stays at a buddy's house, you know. But you tell them, pay attention. There's times whenever I'm out door knocking with people and I say, beware, pay attention and watch for dogs. That was Marlon Cole's advice, Mike. Beware of dogs, boy. I don't know if you know him, but he can say it pretty funny. But you got to pay attention. What are we watching for? Are we watching for dogs? Are we watching for cows? He said, no, watch yourself and watch the things that you desire more than anything else in the world because what they will do, you need to beware of them. They will trick you into thinking they're the most important things in this life, the things that you treasure, the things that you can buy, the things that you can own. It's this great illusion. And I'll tell you, we live in a place where the illusion is incredible. The prosperity that we live in today it's incredible. You know, I'm considered low income. You look at my taxes, all my deductions, they'll say I'm living below the poverty line. I'm pretty fortunate, though. I've been some places where the poverty line isn't near what we classify. I've been some places in the States like that. I've been some places overseas where it's like that. You know what? For Christianity, no matter where you're at, no matter the prosperity, you've got to beware of covetousness. It's tricky. Proverbs 13, verse 7, he says, There is that makes himself rich, yet he has nothing. There is that makes himself poor, yet has great riches. You know, I'm not just talking about this prosperity gospel. You know what I'm talking about? Those televangelists on the TV, and they're like, If you'll just write me this check for everything you have, God's going to double. It's coming back on the water, folks. You're going to get rich for Jesus. I'm not just talking about that, and he's not just talking about that. That's, that's fake. That's an illusion. That's not spiritual. But I'll tell you that sometimes the things that we trust in, they're uncertain riches. That's what he called them. 
They're the things that can be here today and gone tomorrow. And they're the things that tell us that we're doing pretty good. I hear some Christians go, you know, I must be doing something right because the Lord's blessed me with great finances and riches. I don't know, maybe so. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the fundamentals that you're using in your business practice and he's blessed you that way. If you have good gifts, amen. Praise God that he's blessed you. But you cannot use your possessions and your wealth as a barometer on whether or not you're walking within the good graces of God. That's not how he operates. That's not what he cares about. He made it, and one day he's going to burn it up. But he gave you a soul, right? We talked about that yesterday. He gave you a soul that he's, he wants it to live forever with him. And that's the true prize. That's the true possession. We look at our possessions and the things that we own. We look at the dreams that we have and our aspirations, and we think that we own them. But at the end of the day, if you have something you will not give away, if you have a dream that you cannot give up for the cross, then you don't own it anymore. It owns you. And that's the illusion of our possessions and our dreams and our pleasures is that they will eventually own us and we never see it coming. And it affects the way that we serve our God. You look into Revelation 3, verses 15 through 17. He's writing a letter specifically here to the church at Laodicea. People like you and me, another day and age, a people living in opulence. And he says this, I know your works. I know you. He don't know you like you and I know each other, where I know about you, know of you, know what you look like. He knows your heart. He knows their heart. And he said, you're neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm and either cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you up. You're awful to me. And I think it's an incredible thing that God would look at a church, his, his church, his people, the redeemed folks. That's who he's, ta- he's, that's who he's talking to. And he'd look at him and say, I want you all the way in, all the way into my work, or I want you to get out. Stop, stop telling people you're mine. Because that's what he's saying. You either get all the way in for me, or you get all the way out. Because what you're doing right now, this lukewarm business, you're just sending, you're just sending false signals about what discipleship of Christ is. Why? That's a question to ask. Why was he so adamant that they needed to change their ways? Why was it that they were lukewarm and he'd rather them just get all the way out? Was it because they had all types of sin problems and drunkenness among them? I don't know, maybe. Was it because they were thieves? I don't know, maybe. I mean, but what we do know for sure is that they were living in opulence. Verse 17, because you say I'm rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Yesterday, Brother James talked to us about the shame of bearing on the cross. Now, there's a difference in the shame of bearing the cross diligently, like a good soldier of the cross. Someone who said, I'll take your jabs, I'll take, I'll take your snide remarks, I'll take your persecutions to be able to preach the truth. That's a different type of shame. But you think about the shamefulness of this, of a Christian who struts about in public going, I'm the redeemed. I'm the Christian, I'm right. And, and everybody looks at him going, you're naked, bro. You think about how embarrassing that would be, right? I don't know, that's the embarrassing dream I guess people have, you know, to wake up and in your dream in front of a whole crowd of people without your clothes on. Maybe that's just my weird mind. But that's, that's the picture he's painting here. 
He said, you don't know it. You ain't got no clothes on. Everybody sees right through you. I see right through you. This is shameful. They were blinded because of their desire for things and pleasure. They thought they were living for him. They were just playing church. They thought they were bearing a cross. They hadn't even touched a piece of wood yet. Folks, wealth and pleasures, they're tricky. And they'll tell you you're good when you're not. And you will spend the rest of your days thinking that you are good with God. And you'll go out feeling that way until it's over. You think about how that's happened time and time again through the scriptures, right? Think about the people at the time of Noah. He was warning them. 120 years he was warning them. He says in Matthew 24, For is in the days of Noah that were before the flood, what were they doing? They were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew not until the flood came. And what did it do? It took them away. It was a surprise. Why was it a surprise? Because they were so consumed with what they wanted. They were eating all this good food. They were living their comfortable lives. They were concerned with all of their relationships. And they weren't concerned at all for being right with God. They were blind. And if we cannot, if we cannot continually assess and, and reassess where our heart truly is, what our life is truly showing Jesus about where our, what we do covet, is it the things in heaven or the things here? What's going to happen is one of these days we're going to be like them. We're going to be one of those people that say, Lord, Lord. That's not the atheists out there going, Lord, Lord. They'll know. They'll know what they've done. It's the ones who chose to be a disciple, said I wanted to be a disciple, said I thought I could pay the cost of being a disciple, who someday will look up and go, but didn't I do some great things along the way? Never realizing they'd been distracted. It's, it's, it'll steal your soul from you. It'll steal your effectiveness, your discipleship. And so what we have to do is we need to change. We need to change the way that we think about it. Stop being blinded by your comfortable life and understand what the most important thing is to you. We have to decide where we want our reward at. I think that's one of the things that we got to do. Matthew 6, 19 through 20 said, Don't lay up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves bake through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Tell me what you want here. I, I think this is the classic, would you like $10 today or $100 15 years from now? I don't know if someone's going to remember 15 years from now. They think want to give me $100, right? And so oftentimes I might go, 10 bucks, man. <laughs> that's, that's like three Dr. Peppers now. Used to be a lot more. I'm good with three Dr. Peppers. You may not be, but I'm telling you, it's pretty valuable in my life. Look in my stomach. What do you value more than anything, and where do you want your reward? Because that's what he's telling you. He said, I want you to examine what you're going to have in this life. Think back, think, all, think to that conversation similar where he talks about people who did things to be seen of men, right? The people who stood up in the markets and said, they have their reward, right? And that's the idea he's talking about here too. You can work for the here, you can work for the now, but that's what you get. That's it. We're done. 
And when it's over, it's $10, and it ain't worth nothing at the end of the day. Or you can wait till later, and you can have this precious and, and eternal reward. And what we're doing, what we're doing, because we will not take heed and beware of covetousness and let it all go and give ourselves all the way to our Lord, is we, we forget. We forget what it's going to be like someday, that the recompense for living that life and getting our reward now is that someday our treasure, our greatest pleasure, is going to be like that rich man where we're going to look across the gulf that's affixed, we're going to see people in comfort, and we're going to beg Abraham and say, you know what I treasure more than anything, Abraham? One drop of water. That's your treasure. One drop of water. It puts things in perspective. Or you know the reward is much better because that's the positive side of it is that I can forsake. I can forsake the, the riches and the treasures and the dreams that are fleshly and earthly right now and I'll want for nothing. It's the well that is never ending. It's the water that leaves you unthirsting, un always quenched. But we have to decide here or later. Work and rest or rest and torture. Takes a mind. Takes a change of a mindset. Set your affections. Because that's what we need to start doing. He said, if you then be risen with Christ. If you're really his disciples. If you're really Christians. If you call yourself Christians. He said, seek the things which are above. That's where Christ is at. That's what he's done. We know where his affections are at. Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on this earth. And that's where it starts for you and I, is changing the way that we think about reward and punishment. Changing the way that we think about what is great and important to you and me. And instead of looking at all the things that seem great and big and important here, it needs to be afterwards. You know, there's a lot of things that seem really important at different point, points in your life. You know, whenever you're a teenager, there's so, there some things that, that seem really big. I don't know, this may not surprise you, but uh, some of the things that were important to me whenever I was a teenager was muscles. You know, that was pretty important. I'm not saying it's wrong that it's important to you nowadays, but muscles and how I looked and things like that and big belt buckles. <laughs> I, like, I like big belt buckles. I don't know why, but it was a thing. And uh, one of big belt buckles. And, you know, a lot of my buddies, they had big belt buckles that they earned by riding in the rodeo, by riding bareback, you know, uh, bareback bronc riding, by riding on bulls. I decided I was going to do that one time. And I wasn't smart. It took two times for me to decide I don't need the buckle that bad. <laughs> it hurt. It wasn't fun. It wasn't worth it at the end of the day. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be fun. But at the end of the day, this reward's going to be worth it. And we need to set our eye on the things that, that actually matter, that, will, that won't be taken away, the relationships that will last forever. We have to take our eye off of the relationship. That's what he's talking about when he says that we need to be willing to forsake father or hate father and mother and sister and brother in our own life to say, you know what? The value of it being good here and right now is nowhere near the value of us being in heaven forever together. 
And so we're willing to have conversations and to make choices with family and friends on our own life because we said, I have a higher value. I want something better. I want something better than broken hearts. I want something better than small bank accounts and houses that need repainted every couple of years. I want something better than that. Do you? We've got to stop living like this is home. That's what we've got to stop doing. Think about Abraham. Hebrews 11 8 through 10, by faith Abraham, he was called to go into a place that he would receive for an inheritance, right? That was promised to him. You remember the three promises we, we, we read about in the scripture given to Abraham? said that he was, he was promised he'd be a great nation, he'd have a land, and the whole world would be blessed by someone out of his family someday, right? Jesus. And we talk about these three promises. He knew the promises better than we did. God made them to him. And so he told him, look, I want you to go. You're going to keep going. You don't know where you're going in verse 8. By faith he went, and he was in the land of promise. Now, think about that. He's in the land of promise. This may not seem as profound as it did to me, Clint, but, you know, he's in the land of promise. That's, he's, he's obtained what God told him he would get, right? Sit yourself down. Make yourself to home. Get comfortable. Get involved. Get invested, right? He's in the land of promise, and yet he sojourned. You know what that means? It was like he was a neighbor to his own house. He was living beside his own neighborhood. He was in the land of promise. But he still felt like a stranger and lived like a stranger, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. They were heirs of the same promise because he looked for something better than what? Better than, better than the promised land of Canaan, land flowing with milk and honey. Folks, we live in a great land. We live in a great place. We live in a great country. We live in a great time in a lot of ways. As bad and as, as dark as it may seem, we live in a great place. It's not even the land of promise. And we're very at home here. We will fight and we will scrap and we will argue. We'll go tooth and nail and toe to toe to make this land a better land whenever we need to be fighting for everybody's eternal place. The city that's been made without hands. The cities whose forefathers aren't on the, on the pieces of money but whose, whose creator is, was made by no hands. Our God, our Savior, that spirit. Stop making yourself so at home. Live a little bit more like a stranger, and you'll find it a little bit easier to set your affection on things above. And whenever we can do that, change what we're looking for out of this life, something better, something that's not here and now, maybe we can then get over our own life too. Not just looking past this life, but get over my life. That's one of the things he called for, right? Not just forsaking father and mother and sister brother, but your own life, right? Notice going back to Colossians 3, after he said to seek the things that are above, set your affections uh, on things above, not on things on earth. He said, because you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. I, I think we forget that. I think there's sometimes we think that for the gospel to work and for everything to work smoothly in the church, that I've got to buy in to his plan. Well, it'll work if I buy in. And the truth is, he bought you. If you said, I want to be yours, if you said, I want my sins forgiven, I want heaven, he bought you. You don't own you no more. You don't have a choice in the matter, right? 
That's what I'm getting at there. That's what he's saying. Your life isn't, isn't your own anymore. And we, we read all these passages where Paul says similar things. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I, nevertheless, I live, and yet not I, but Christ, he lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I only live by the grace of the Son of God, right? Who loved me and he gave himself for me. He ought to be ruling me, not me ruling me. And a part of this forsaking all is me saying, I want something better than this, and I don't want what I want. I want what you want. Marriage should be like that, right? Whether you're a husband or a wife, it shouldn't be about what I can get out of this relationship. It's about what I'll give for you. Well, that makes sense because Ephesians 5 is really about his disciples and him, right? The bride and the husbandman, Jesus and the church. Now it's about what he wants, not what you want. And as has been said the last several nights, he was a prime example of that. You think Jesus is going to ask you to forsake everything? Possessions, family, comforts, and not do it himself? You think he's going to ask you to, to give up what you want in this life and look for something later on and him not doing it? You think he, he's going to ask you to give up your own will and wants for somebody else's and him not do it himself? He's going to. And so he begs with us and he pleads with us through the scriptures, through the apostles, saying, stop setting your affections on this earth. Because what has happened is that he has chosen us to be a soldier, folks. He's chosen us to be a soldier. And the fight that he's chosen us to do is, is like what he says here to Paul to Timothy. Be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's a great commission, right? Go make disciples. Go make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teach them to observe all things that I've told you. Go make more of these disciples. That's what discipleship is. This is your focus. This is your life. This is your mission. And he said, I want you to endure that hardness like a good soldier. No man that wars. No man, that's in, no man that has this as a mission entangles himself in the affairs of this life. Now, you've got to ask yourself this question because I think this is one of the barometers of whether or not we are willing to forsake it all. For all the causes that you have, is this the cause? Is this the focus of your life? Is this where at the beginning of each morning, where your mind goes to, where your prayers start? Is this during the, the middle of your day at the gas pump, where your mind goes, where, where your actions lie whenever you see strangers around you? Whenever you're thinking about holidays, is this where your mind goes, where it stays, where your plans are made for your family sitting across those tables? As you lay down at the end of your day, every single day, is this where you close it out and you pray for more strength and more boldness and more guidance and more courage to be able to meet this mission, to bear this cross? Singular focus. Now that's hard. They say guys are very singular focus. We can't multitask. Folks, none of us, none of us can. We want to be a disciple. We need to be focused on this mission. And you know what? We'll forsake all. That's what Christ did. 
That's what he was here to do. He was here to make disciples of him so he could give them something better, so he could do the will of the Father. Matthew chapter 8 says certain scribes came. They said to him, Master, we'll follow you wherever you go. The multitudes came. The individuals came. I imagine that the few that we read like this, that there was a lot more than just a couple recorded here. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. You think he couldn't have had a nice home? He made us out of the dirt, folks. He could have had a nice home. Do you think he couldn't have been a famous man? There's a whole nation of Jews here waiting for him to rise up and sit on a felt-covered throne. That's what they wanted. You think he didn't have the clout to do it? He did. You think he didn't have the words to do it? He enthralled the audiences. You think he didn't have the power to do it? He healed everyone that couldn't be healed. He could have done anything he wanted with his life. He could have had anything he wanted in this life. And yet he chose. This is a choice, right? This isn't to scare people off. He said, look, I'm focused on one thing and one thing only while I'm here. And it in comfort, and it in family, and it in riches, and in all these possessions that I could have or prestige, and in following my dreams, I am here not to be comfortable. But I'm here to make disciples. That's why he said things like this. Because he was willing to forsake it all. And there's lots of ways that we need to go about forsaking it all. But I'd like to spend a few moments this, this evening just encouraging us on a few things and encouraging you to find many more ways in your life how you can identify where you haven't given everything completely to him and to give it to him. To let go of this life and hold on to and focus only on the next one. Let's stop focusing on tomorrow. And let's start focusing on today. Let's stop focusing on ourselves and focus on the kingdom. There's a fellow, we're not going to read the whole thing in Luke chapter 12. And what happened to this man in this parable is that he had a bumper crop that season. He's a farmer. If you've been involved or around any farm at all, you know that that doesn't happen every single year. Bumper crops are incredible. And he has this big, incredible crop. And he says, for this time, for this season, that's all I'm going to focus on, right? And said, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build them greater. I'm going to store it up. And we know it didn't work out for this thing. All through this situation, notice what this dude is doing. All through it, it's I, I, myself, myself. Talk to myself in third person. Whenever I say to myself, I'm not just going to say self. I'm going to say soul. He's all about him. All through that, he's all about him. What am I going to do? Well, you know what? Whenever I'm going to be done with what I'm going to do, I'm going to give it all to Jesus, right? That's what we do nowadays. I'm going to work, 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 and I'm going to have a good retirement someday, and you know what? Then I'll, be, I'll have a lot of time to be dedicated to Jesus. You know what? Whenever this, this is what we used to say with school. Whenever the school year's over and the summer's here, we'll have all this time, and we can do all kinds of things. You know how busy the summers are. That didn't work out, right? And Christians, we can't be this way. We can't say, I'm going to focus on this life, and I'm going to focus on this life, and then someday I'm going to give a whole bunch. Because it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't happen that way. If you won't give a dollar today, you're not going to give it 10 years from now. I think I heard you say that one time, Mike. What are you willing to give? How are you planning your life? Are you planning your life around you and me and I, 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 myself, my soul, soul, self? Or are you planning around the kingdom? Maybe we need to pick our careers better. 
That's what we need to train our children to do. Don't just raise them up to be educated so they can have good jobs and sealed houses like the people in Micah. Not so they can go out and and pick their education so they can have a certain career. And then later on, we're going to call some evangelists and we're going to go, Hey, do you know if there's a a church near this college? I'm not mocking people, but I get that call all the time. You know the other call I get from all the time? Hey, I've got an advancement that I really need to take in my career. It's only going to last a couple years, but I really have to take this step in my career. Do you know if there's a church where I'm going? You know what we need to think about? How can I serve the kingdom best, and what can I do that won't hinder me from that? Is the kingdom a hindrance to your money, to your career, to your education? Or is it something that you filtered in around it? What's your focus? We need to change the way that we think about possessions, the way that we think about career. What if, what if you lay up treasures for yourself, but you're not rich towards God? If you go out of this life like the man who was begging for crumbs at the rich man's table, what's that going to hurt you? Hurts my ego a little bit. Not have the nicest vehicles. Makes me a little more scared to be hospitable if I feel like my house isn't up to the standard of everybody else in our society. It's about pride. It's about what I want. Maybe, maybe we need to go back to the basics. Maybe we need to keep training ourselves in the idea that we've carried nothing in this life and it's certain we'll carry nothing out. Godliness with contentment, that's where great gain is. And let's start there, not with tearing the barns and building greater. Where do you focus first? You need to count the cost of your possessions because, folks, it isn't wrong. You know, whenever the, the prophet decreed against the folks in, in Micah or Micah decreed against them, he said that they were dwelling in sealed houses while the house of God lied in ruin, Right? Now, there's nothing wrong, and whenever Jesus is forsaking all, we don't, you don't necessarily have to live in a tent like Abraham. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to own something. If it was wrong to own something, there's a whole string of people that are praised to the Scriptures by God that were wrong. It's about what you're willing to do with it, how you're willing to use that. Is it for you, or is it for the kingdom? And I think that's the way we need to change how we think about it. What's it for? There's a guy praising 3 John 5-7. through I'll get there eventually. Is he said, Beloved, this is Gaius, an elder in the church, you've done faithfully whatever you've done to the brethren and the strangers, which have borne witness of the charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt, uh, thou, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. I'll tell you what this dude was all about, and he was praised for it. He wasn't the dude running people off out of the church like Diotrephes, craving the upper seats and wanting prestige. He was the guy who said, Everything I got is yours. You know people like that? So people give you the shirt off their back or what have you. And that's Gaius. He said, the house that I have, it's yours and anyone else that comes through. You need something for your trip? Is it encouragement? Is it money? So that you don't have to take anything off the Gentiles? It's yours. Is your stuff your stuff or is it the kingdom stuff? Talking about the Macedonians, those people, Paul praised them up. Those folks, they were giving to the cause of some poor and destitute Christians. He said, above their means. You got people praised by Jesus. The woman with a couple of mites, she throws them into the pan and gave more than everybody else who gave much. Why? 
Because they didn't care about those things. They didn't, they didn't own that woman. They didn't own those Christians in Macedonia. His house didn't own him. He wasn't living for the flower bed and the retirement and water and the lawn every day in the morning. What he was living for is, how can I use this for the kingdom? What do you do with the things you have and why do you have it? Are you using it for the kingdom? Let the man that stole steal no more. What's the opposite of stealing? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not not stealing. That's not the opposite of stealing. It's not just stopping it. The opposite of stealing is laboring with your hands to give to those who have need, right? That's what the scripture says. And that's the mission for you and me. It's not laying up for me, but laying up for you. It's not about doing for me, but it's about how can I help you in the kingdom? How can I help the way that you've helped the ministry? How can I comfort you? How can I encourage you? What can I do? Then your possessions don't own you. Then you've given them up. You're willing to give them up. You are giving them up. Why? Because you care about discipleship more than that. Count the cost of your possessions. Deuteronomy 32, 45 through 47 may seem an interesting place long before the time of Jesus in the flesh, but this verse is, is coming on the heels. I guess verse 45, he had, just, he had just broke a session of teaching the law, right? Like he does. And then in verse 46, there in the middle says, he said to them, this is Moses, set your heart on all the words which I testify you among this day that you should command your children to observe to do all the words of the law. Now, we're familiar with that. That's very similar to things we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? About write them on, you know, make them the doorposts of your home. When you rise up, when you walk by the way, before you lay down, teach your kids, all these things. That's the same thing that he's saying there. Set your heart on it. Make it important to you. Make it your mission. Make it your life. And he says, then you'll command them to observe to do them. That's a training process. Notice what he says next. For it is not a vain thing for you. And there's a promise here. Through this thing you shall prolong your days in the land. Vain means empty and worthless, right? You know, there's a lot of things that we do that aren't necessarily bad things. Making memories with our family, our recreation, our play, things like that. It's fun to make memories. When we're forsaking all, again, we're not talking about just possessions. We're talking about the things that we possess and own us as sometimes making a memory with our family and giving them good things. I'll tell you what he does not say here is that playing ball with your kids and running around doing that is a bad thing. He doesn't say that going hiking and camping and going on vacations and your extracurricular pursuits from school with your kids, that those are completely worthless. But I'll tell you what he's, what he's getting, the point he's driving across here is there's all these things in life that are good, but they're not great. And what we have got to stop doing, what we have got to stop doing with our families and our homes in order to forsake all, we've got to stop sacrificing the great things. The great things just to give our kids and our family good things. What's more worth your while? Where are the promises at? It's in training them to observe the law. You can spend family time with them that way. Does that mean we can't ever play another day in our life? No. We're not saying that, but... We need to think seriously in our hearts for the sake of our discipleship and the future of our children, for our family. Have I been giving them good things? 
but at the end they're going to be vain. He said our life is about giving them the great things, teaching them to observe the laws. You want to be a disciple? Forsake the good things for the great things. The mission of God. There's promise in that. There's something beyond this. A land that they could possess and one that our children will go to one of these days. Count the cost of your recreation. Count the cost of your safety. Romans chapter 8 verses 36 through 37. As it is written. And this is, I think, going back to Psalms 44, I believe, is what he's referencing. He says, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. And in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Sometimes whenever people count the cost of discipleship, they think about me and they're not willing to put me aside. And it's not necessarily just about the things that I'll possess and that I'll have. But it's about just not wanting to be hurt. And that's what we talked about a lot yesterday. But I'll tell you, you've got to be willing to risk it. What are you willing to risk for this kingdom, for this discipleship? You know what the apostles knew, what they knew going in? It wasn't going to end well for them. Paul told the Corinthians, we're going to be lifted up in his example one of these days. And boy, they were. When's the last time you risked a good relationship with a family member for the sake of their soul. Let me change that. When's the last time you suppressed an opportunity to tell them something spiritual that they need to hear knowing that they very well might hate you for it? That's what forsaking all is. As you said, a relationship here in this life that's not what I want. I want to look one of these days, and instead of seeing you across the Thanksgiving table, what I want to see is I want to see your head laid down in Abraham's lap. And I want, I want to see him comforting you and, and stroking your hair and going, I know, it was a hard, I know it was a hard pull. I know there were times it didn't seem like I'd make it. But to see, there they are. They made it. That's forsaking all. I'm going to risk it. I'm going to be like Paul. I'm going to say, I know that if I tell you this, I might be your enemy. But I'm going to tell you this because that's real love. What could you forsake in this life? What are you willing to forsake in this life? What have you not forsaken in this life? Just start counting the cost of your safety. You know, not whatever man can do to you, whatever relationships you lose, he'll make it up to you. It may not seem worth it right now. It may not seem worth it necessarily in the fleshly sense, but it is for yours and for theirs. What do you got to do to forsake it all? Matthew 19, I'm not going to read all of this. This comes on the heels of this, this rich young ruler story. And he told them right there, he said, look, it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than someone who wants to be rich to go to heaven. And they looked at him and they said, "What?" They were, exce- they were amazed. What? How in the world? Who can be saved then? If that's how hard it is, folks, don't, don't have any illusions here. It is not going to be easy. But you know what? You can do it with God. That's what that verse really means when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what it really means is that we can change our mindset from something that is carnal, and we can give up the things that are here and now, 
and we can go obtain something that's spiritual. That's what that verse means. He looked at those people and he said, with men it's impossible, with God all things are possible. He answered to Peter and he told him about blessings they would have and rewards for their apostleship in verse 28. And then he said, and everyone that has forsaken houses, possessions, and brethren, or sisters, family, right? Friends, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands. Things, careers, dreams, and aspirations for my name's sake, because you're willing to carry the cross. You'll have a hundredfold in this life, and in the next life, inherit everlasting life. If you count the cost, if today you count the cost and you add it all up, what it's going to cost you to really forsake everything, to really go all in for Jesus, and to really pick up your cross, and you know that that's a high price, I want you to know this. The support system you'll have around you is going to be made up of people who've done the same thing. That's why it hurts when people like Demas leave the work. That's why that makes it into this Holy Scripture, because he had been there for Paul. You know what I'm talking about. The people who are in this fight, who've given everything up, they understand all the way. They understand all the way what you're going through. They know the heartaches. They know the struggles. They know the imperfections. They know the trials. They know what it cost. And a blessing of this life when you give everything up is you gain. You gain companions just like that. And in the next life, it's going to be so worth it. Nothing that ever fades away. Nothing that is ever broken. Nothing that is ever destroyed. What we need to make sure that we're doing is that we're setting our heart on the right things. The question that Jesus asks is, what do you really treasure? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. To be a disciple of Christ, do you have to treasure the things that are heavenly? And ask yourself this question, where is it really at? Examine your life. What does my life say to God? Do I really want to follow him? Or am I walking away sorrowfully but blind to that fact? Have I really forsaken everything? Or am I holding something back for myself? Ask yourself this question, will you be one of these people who will come to God who has said, I am willing to honor you over my children, over my wife, over my parents, over my friends, over my own self? You know what? You can be his disciple. Will you be one of those ones who carry your cross with grace and with love? You'll be his disciple. Can you forsake everything to be his disciple? This morning, if that's what you want to do, if you've counted the cost and you said, I'll give it to him, I'll focus on this mission, I'll give it all up because I want heaven, we can help you with that. We'll talk to you about the gospel. If you know the gospel and you want to obey it from belief, uh, from your heart, obey him, have your sins removed through baptism, we'll do that. But will you, will you forsake all? That's the question this morning before you answer that as we stand and we sing this song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.